Byfield in the studio, who will take your calls in the second half of the show. On the Ground lifts up voices of activists and activism here in the nation's capital and around the blue planet. This week, Veterans Day is being celebrated in this country and in other parts of the world, Armistice Day is being celebrated. And there are similar holidays that originated in 1918 as a remembrance of the 20 million people killed in the senseless atrocities of World War I. So we're coming up on the 100-year mark of our modern era of war on an industrial scale. But here at WPFW, your station for jazz and justice in the shadow of the White House, the Capitol, and the Pentagon, not only do we question war, we advocate for the millions of faceless victims of war, declared wars and undeclared wars, and we honor the veterans of our wars, not the wars of imperialism fought for oil or for the rich, our veterans are veterans of the civil rights and black power movements, veterans in the war against poverty, racism, sexism. Many here at Pacifica are veterans in the fight for an independent media. Pacifica honors veterans in the war against wars and genocide. Today, we're going to talk to activists who have been holding an anti-war vigil for more than a decade in Baltimore, and then another day of remembrance this month, November 21st through the 23rd, Thousands will gather near Fort Benning, Georgia for the annual vigil and protest at the School of the Americas, also known as Winseca. The School of the Americas is a combat training school for Latin American soldiers and has left a trail of blood and suffering in every country where its graduates have returned. For this reason, the School of the Americas has been historically dubbed the School of Assassins. This year, the gathering is mobilizing to make transparent the long-standing war on communities of color around the world, and we'll talk to one of the organizers. All that is coming up, but first our headlines. Three civil rights activists murdered by the Ku Klux Klan in 1964 after traveling to Mississippi to register black voters have been posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civil honor. The murder of James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner shocked the country and propelled the passage of the Voting Rights Act in 1965. Other recipients of this year's Medal of Freedom include Chilean novelist Isabel Allende, Native American activist Suzanne Harjo, and actress and activist Marlo Thomas. A leading Palestinian activist has been jailed after she was found guilty of concealing her conviction on bombing charges by an Israeli military court more than 40 years ago. Rasmia O'Day, associate director of the Chicago area Arab American Action Network, says her confession to the bombings was obtained through torture and sexual assault in Israeli custody. O'Day moved to the United States in 1995. She was declared a flight risk and taken into custody ahead of sentencing in March. Journalist Charlotte Silver told Electric Intifada that O'Day's supporters say she was targeted for prosecution on the immigration charge because of her role as a prominent supporter of Palestinian liberation. The Rasmia Defense Committee has asserted that 
the U.S. attorney's prosecution of Rasmia is is a direct is a political prosecution. It's because Rasmia is this sort of iconic Palestinian um, and legendary Palestinian figure. Um, and this, the defense wrote that this was an example of selective prosecution, specifically for Rasmia exercising her First Amendment rights, which was being an active participant in the Palestinian American community. That was journalist Charlotte Silver speaking to Electronic Intifada about the case of leading Palestinian activist Rasmia O'Day, who was just convicted on an immigration charge. Her attorneys have vowed to appeal. Imprisoned journalist and former Black Panther Mumia Abu-Jamal has filed a lawsuit challenging a new Pennsylvania law he says violates his free speech. The law authorizes the censoring of prisoners' public address if judges agree that letting them speak would cause mental anguish to victims. Also in Pennsylvania, six school districts, seven parents, and two statewide associations sued the Commonwealth on Monday, claiming legislative leaders, state education officials, and the governor have failed to uphold the state's constitutional obligation to provide a system of public education that gives all children the resources they need. According to the complaint, state officials drastically underfund school districts across the Commonwealth and discriminate against children on the basis of the taxable property in their communities. President Obama has issued the strongest statement to date in favor of a free and open Internet. In a video message, Obama called for the Federal Communications Commission to uphold the principle of net neutrality by classifying the Internet as a public utility. He said such protection would prevent Internet service providers, or ISPs, like Comcast, from blocking access to websites, slowing down content, or providing paid fast lane for Internet service. Internet providers have a legal obligation not to block or limit your access to a website. Cable companies can't decide which online stores you can shop at, or which streaming services you can use. And they can't let any company pay for priority over its competitors. To put these protections in place, I'm asking the FCC to reclassify Internet service under Title II of a law known as the Telecommunications Act. In plain English, I'm asking them to recognize that for most Americans, the Internet has become an essential part of everyday communication and everyday life. Press freedom groups have soundly praised Obama's statement, which bolsters call for nearly 4 million commenters who have urged the FCC to protect net neutrality. A Detroit judge has approved the city's effort to restructure finances and shed around $7 billion in debt under its bankruptcy filing last year. The plan includes cuts to retiree pensions for city workers and around $660 million in funding from state and private sources. Detroit City Council President Brenda Jones said the city's next phase of recovery should focus on community improvement. In Fort Lauderdale, Florida, a 90-year-old man is facing potential jail time for serving food to the homeless. Arnold Abbott, known as Chef Arnold, has been cited twice in the past week after a city ordinance went into effect that banned feeding the poor. He described one of his encounters with police to a local news station. One of the police officers came over and said, Drop that plate right now, as though I was carrying a weapon. These are the poorest of the poor. They have nothing. 
They don't have a roof over their head. And who would turn them away? The big environmental news is that the United States and China, the world's two largest polluters, have agreed to limit greenhouse gas emissions over the next decade. President Obama unveiled the deal at a news conference in Beijing. President Obama announced that the United States has set a new goal of reducing net greenhouse gas emissions by 26 to 28 percent below 2005 levels by the year 2025. The new goal doubles the pace at which the U.S. is reducing carbon pollution and puts the country on a path to achieving the deep emissions reductions by advanced economies that the scientific community says is necessary to prevent the most catastrophic effects of climate change. China has also made its first ever commitment to stop emissions from growing by 2030. The agreement was negotiated in secret over nine months. In international activist news, the International Criminal Court has declined to take action over Israel's deadly 2010 raid on a Gaza-bound aid flotilla, which killed 10 Turkish activists. Chief ICC Prosecutor Fatou Benswada said no action would be taken, even though war crimes had likely been committed when Israeli commandos stormed the aid ship Mavi Marmara. In a roundup of mass demonstrations, in Nigeria, demonstrators have taken to the streets after a suicide bomber disguised as a student has killed nearly 50 boys at a boarding school in the town of Potiskum. The militant group Boko Haram is suspected of carrying out the attack. Outrage continues in Mexico over the apparent massacre of 43 students by police and a drug gang in the southern state of Guerrero. On Tuesday, protesters in Guerrero set ablaze the ruling party's state headquarters. Riot police clashed with masked demonstrators who threw stones and firebombs and briefly kidnapped a police commander. And in Brussels, protesters recently marched. They were protesting against the government's proposed reforms and spending cuts. The government plans to raise the pension age, freeze wages, and make public service cuts to meet EU targets. Last Thursday's march was one of Belgium's biggest labor demonstrations since World War II. Steelworkers, dockers, teachers were among the 100,000 who took part, protesting against government austerity policies. The march marked the start of a month-long campaign by trade unions and is to be capped by a national strike on December 15th. And finally, the killing of unarmed teenager Michael Brown remains an international issue as Missouri Governor Jay Nixon is threatening to redeploy the National Guard after a grand jury reaches its decision in the case. Michael Brown's parents have taken their case to the United Nations in Geneva. Michael Brown Sr. and Leslie McSpadden were accompanied by a group of Ferguson activists to testify before the United Nations Committee Against Torture. On Tuesday, they asked the committee to end discriminatory U.S. policing tactics, including racial profiling, and investigate the targeting of communities of color. And those are our headlines for today. We may have the attorney for Michael Brown's parents speaking from Geneva later in the show. But when we come back, standing up against drone research here in the DMV, and activists merge the issues of police killings at home and police and military killings abroad. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
to me. That was War by Edwin Starr on Thursday's Community Watch and Comment, the On the Ground edition. I'm Esther Rivera. I'm joined today by Michael Byfield in the studio. Well, this past Tuesday on Veterans Day, On the Ground was in Baltimore, where our first stop was at what must be one of the longest anti-war vigils in this region and perhaps in the country. Since 9-11, a group of peace activists have been holding a Tuesday peace vigil, and for the past two years, they have camped out at a busy corner on the campus of Johns Hopkins University, where they are protesting the university's research and development of military drones. We spoke to Max Obershevsky, Cindy Farquhar, Sharon Jones, and a dog named Reese. She also insisted on providing some sound for the show. Two years now that we've been here protesting the drone research that takes place a lot at the Applied Physics Laboratory, but some of it right here on campus. Okay. Okay, so your signs say 
stop the drone attacks, Hopkins drone research killing by remote control. That's from uh, Medea Benjamin's book. Cindy uh, got the uh, permission from Medea to use that photograph that she has on her book. And Cindy got a grant to actually do these signs. He's got some more signs coming uh, about this. What does the other one say? Investigate and... Investigate and prosecute U.S. torture, Amnesty right. International. We see a connection. Obviously, war is not the answer. War is not the answer. We were holding out at the uh, American Friends Service Committee because the FCNL, Friends Committee on National Legislation in D.C., they produced those signs. Through the AFSC, when I was working there, we sold about a 1,000 of those. You drive around Baltimore now, you'll still see some of these these signs on on people's lawns. Well, you see some in D.C. too. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you've been doing this vigils for more than 10 years, so for more than a decade. Yep, 13 years, right. And is that rain, shine, sleet, hail, snow? Uh, yes, yes, to say the least. Cindy does a countdown. Once the weather gets cold, she tells us how many weeks before it's going to get warm again. So I've been bugging her, please tell me it's too warm. The, the weather, well, it's climate chaos. We got uh, 61 degrees today in Baltimore. It's November 11th. Okay. But it's, as the snow is coming, maybe on Thursday, so then she'll do a countdown. Well, we got 15 more weeks before we can survive and take our coats off. Okay, so what are some of the more interesting things that have happened to you during the vigil? We get all kinds of people come over to chat with us. We get a lot of support. Right. Hopkins has a large uh, foreign population here, including people from Pakistan, India, and they thank us very much for doing this. Mm -hmm. Every so often there's a, there's a, a negative response, but most of the people either ignore us or support us. Right. Every so often there's somebody that gets nasty. Uh, well, I'll give you one re uh, response before you get to Cindy. There was a Marine that came over here and this was about a year ago. And he was telling us how much he enjoys drone strikes because they saved his life and his comrade's life when he was a Marine in, in Iraq. And when we were uh, questioning him, we said, well, how do you know that sometimes innocent people aren't killed? And he really he, he didn't want to respond to that particular question because he felt drones were saving his life and his comrade's life whether it killed innocent Iraqis or innocent people from Afghanistan, that was irrelevant to him. Two weeks ago, a gentleman came over here and saw this sign. He says, I hate drone strikes. And what he got after he stood here and told us why he hates drone strikes, he was working for a corporation and he was trying to sell this idea that it would be a way of purifying water in a developing country, and it would be solar power that would clean the water. And so his project was not accepted. Instead, whoever got, got the money for this project, it was for killer drones. So he continued to talk with us, and he told us he's now, he came back to Johns Hopkins' school, and he has to make a decision whether he's going to go to medical school and do good 
or go to New York City and work for the financial, the banking world and make a lot of money. The biggest group of people that come and thank us here are um, Palestinians. Palestinians come by and they very quietly say, thank you very much for this work. It's awful for me to talk to the people back home because drone strikes are coming in my village, in my neighborhood, all the time. And of course, drones are the kind of thing that can come by in the afternoon to surveil and come back at night to drop bombs. So the sound of a, a, of a plane over the head is terrifying and some people don't go out at all. So the people who are most responsive to us are, are students who are Palestinians. The Asians, not so much, and um, the U.S., not so much, but mostly the Palestinians are for us. Of course, we'd like to be larger, but we used to be larger, and then that, that sort of, that whole interest in war or fighting war went away. It was larger at the beginning, from 01 to, say, 03. It went down from 40 people and sort of was a straight line downward, about 45 degrees, and, and now it came down to us. Do you think that it's because, in part, the idea of ground troops and shock and awe is a little bit, you know, it's more visceral for people to, to feel and understand and empathize with rather than a drone strike? Yeah, so that's exactly right. So that's why we think it was a really good choice to choose to come down here and start working on um, how Hopkins is doing drone research. And since Hopkins is doing it, a lot of places aren't. And since Hopkins has such a great reputation for being, uh, A, a great medical institution, and B, a great open university that's always thinking about new, wonderful things, we think that it's inconsistent, incongruent. So uh, today's Veterans Day. Uh, is there any special, I guess, meaning or special emphasis on the vigil today? Absolutely. So the suicide problem with... Um, with veterans is becoming much larger with the drone um, programmers and aviators, if you might call them drone aviators, even though they aviate from a computer room, sometimes in NORAD in Colorado, sometimes in Oman in uh, the Middle East, sometimes in different countries, wherever they're aviating, if you will, from, they still are feeling the effects. And uh, the, the whole drone process is um, one person names what they feel is a threat that gets reported up the ladder the um, command to attack comes down the ladder so there's still this whole um, command to attack and it's still an attack and they understand it as an attack most people vote their jobs live their jobs and and give up their morality on their jobs most people do that so these people do that but then it comes back to them well after we left Max Cindy Sharon and Reese at Johns Hopkins University, we headed over to a sparsely furnished row house where a young, very casual crowd was raising funds to send a caravan from Baltimore to the School of America's Watch Vigil in Fort Benning, Georgia, that starts on November 21st. At this year's 25th anniversary of the annual vigil, there'll be a greater emphasis on showing the links between militarization at home and abroad. A statement on the SOA Watch website says, we mobilize to make transparent the long-standing war on communities of color around the world. Let us gather this weekend in memory of the Mike Browns of Ferguson, Jennifer Lauds of the Philippines, the Roseanne Millers of New York, the Tapasio Reynosos of Guatemala, the 43 missing students from Mexico, and the thousands upon thousands of migrants who have died en route to the north 
or at the U.S.-Mexico border from the harsh conditions purposely implemented by federal and local government agents. We mobilize in the spirit of activists fighting police repression in the U.S. who are unveiling the racialized system of state violence. The militarized response to the protests in Ferguson by local police using equipment distributed by the Pentagon, such as tanks and military-grade firearms, is bringing to light the historical and sustained attacks against activists in an entire community supported by a war economy. We spoke to Arturo J. Iscara, advocacy coordinator for SOA Watch and an immigrant attorney, about the significance of this year's gathering. We'll refer to it as the largest annual anti-militarization um, gathering rally, and it's referred to as mostly, mostly a vigil, but it also includes a conference of workshops and uh, speakers and uh, concerts, different activities at a convention center, um, which is in Columbus, Georgia. And this will be the 25th year that the School of the Americas vigil is going on. Um, and it's in Columbus, even though, um, because it's the host of a military base, even though it's technically right outside of Columbus, it's uh, Fort Benning. Uh, military base. Uh, it was a U.S. Army base, um, but I think they've also just kind of called it a, um, a Department of Defense base to have different, um, a lot of different tenants, quote-unquote, um, and one of them is the School of the Americas, uh, or a.k.a. WINSEC, um, the Western Hemisphere Institute for Security Cooperation, which was just a, basically a renaming of the of the military training institute because of uh, all of the bad uh, I guess they see it more of as bad publicity rather than than actual uh, horrific um, things that were taught there um, both ideologically and um, practically as far as applying how to how to apply torture extortion um, kidnapping to to um, basically defeat uh, insurgent um, movements in, in Latin America um, and so the school has been around since 1946 so really shortly after the Cold War was initiated but it wasn't until the 90s that it became a lot more controversial and or at least during the 80s and then early 90s and then 25 years ago there was uh, was the first vigil which is the, the founder of the organization was uh, is a man by the name of Father Roy Bourgeois and he just went and started doing a, um, a hunger strike and other people joined him outside of the gates of Fort Benning and that was so that was 25 years ago but he had already spent some time in jail for going on to to the base and protesting this this specific school that's just as uh, I had mentioned they, they, they um, were using a CIA training tor torture training manual to teach Latin American troops how to torture, how to how to extort, and how to, uh, and also kidnapping as as far as tactics to to win against these insurgencies. But at the same time, uh, besides just the training, the torture training manual, there's just uh, almost every single dictator from the latter half of the 20th century in Latin America had to pass through the School of the Americas and a lot of just other top officials in 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 different. Uh, governments that were either dictatorships or 
or just had a thin, a very slight veneer of, of democracy where they uh, treated their, the population as, as an enemy, uh, uh, mostly, you know, poor uh, people that live in rural areas, people that live in, that were um, in unions, students, uh, other, other, the sectors of society that were either demanding a change or just happened to be uh, in the countryside where they were trying to, to distinguish a, a quote-unquote guerrilla uh, organization. So, you know, there's a lot of concern now about the students in Mexico. I mean, is it fair to say that what's, what's happened to them is kind of an outgrowth of this legacy of what the School of Americas has done in Central and Latin America? Uh, without a doubt. Um, the school is not the only place where the U.S. trains Latin American soldiers and police, there's a, a ton of different places now. There's, they've diversified it. It used to be much more um, just singular. There wasn't as much, but they've, they've done a, now they do training in a lot of different places, but it still is the number one place where they train uh, the, the largest majority of troops. And then those, Colombia, for, for example, in the last uh, 20 years or so, Colombia has, is, has been by far the largest uh, res, uh, number one sender of troops to the School of the Americas and now Colombia itself is training other other troops from other countries for example in Honduras which you have a lot of the same exact issues that you have in in, um, in Mexico uh, which is that the security forces that the US is spending a lot of money to train and then also finance equip uh, end up being in league with the drug cartels so you're still, it's still in a sense the same story as before where you're funding and training the bad guys because it might not be directly but you can't the, the way that the environments have been created in Mexico is it's their own particular case but there's definitely um, that training goes ends up um, going to, to some of these people for example the Zetas a very infamous drug cartel that was that kind of is seen as one that kind of upped the ante and and as far as the brutality that was going on in Mexico with beheadings and people being hung from bridges were special forces Mexican troops, but uh, the vast majority of the founding members of the Zetas had, had gone through the School of the Americas. This was something that was revealed almost, you know, about a decade ago. But at the same time, just even the concept of, of fighting a war on drugs um, and training soldiers to do that Inevitably, what ends up happening is they use the training against uh, the civilian population and you generate just more violence uh, because you're not uh, going to defeat the use of drugs through, <laughs> through military means. There's, it's, a, it's a public health issue and, and it's, 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 it's pretty much insanity to, to um, have so many lives lost in Latin America because of U.S. consumption of drugs. We do think that directly tying it back to the 43 missing students in Ayotzinapa, I think you just see there where you have the police working in conjunction with the drug cartels um, and therefore it's just kind of, it's just a, a big glaring light, it's just the most recent of incidents, there's also an incident uh, where the police summarily executed or military summarily executed 15 people, uh, at least 15 innocent people in June, on June 28th of this year, to the point where now you know even the Mexican state has had to uh, admit that they're that they were culpable of doing that, and they're being prosecuted to a degree. But we'll see. Lots of times, those, there's prosecutions, but there's really not they're very completely lenient sentences, or not even jail time at times. Um, but we, we, but it's just uh, just recent, two very recent examples. But 
Uh, it's it's over a hundred. It's you, you know estimates of over a hundred thousand uh, murdered in Mexico, and I think it's just uh, symbolic that even if all of the training isn't occurring at the School of the Americas, it is definitely the training and the philosophy that is utilized in other places where the U.S., for example, which is, does a lot of training with Mexican troops in sight in Mexico. It's definitely um, that training is definitely a progeny of what the uh, School of the Americas is and, and, and Mexico does continue to send troops there. It's just not in this highest volume, but they go to other places and, and, and do a, a lot of cooperation, a lot of military training with, tra with the U.S. on the ground in Mexico. And it's just kind of, I think, another glaring example of how the, the current manifestation of U.S. military involvement in Latin America just doesn't make any sense when you're, when you're working with uh, known elements that are going to be corrupted by the, by the drug cartels. Uh, at best, you sometimes are, are pitting two drug cartels against each other. Um, or, or you, you know, the military picks one side, and that's been proven in, in Mexico, where it seems like the state has at times benefited, has just looked the other way for certain cartels and gone after other ones. So it's not, um, it's not a surprise. This, this has been happening. There's over 25,000 people disappeared. This is just kind of a watershed moment because it all, all happened so, so much at once. Uh, so many people were disappeared in one incident. Um, but uh, the funding for, for the school continues to come from U.S. taxpayer money. And, um, you know, for, uh, for a very long time now, it's been obvious that, that, that the majority of people from the United States um, would either have no opinion over the matter or be very strongly against the use of their taxpayer money for, to fund this school. Uh, even, if, even if they do not train uh, for torture anymore, there's never been any accountability for that. There's never been any accountability for all the... Um, the, the, the political ideology that inculcates in, in the militaries where it's just basically anything to the left of center could, uh, you know, people are um, then labeled as communists and, and attacked. This, this gathering tonight will uh, raise money for folks going down to the gathering. When, when is it? And tell me what's going to happen at the um, caravan and the um, Soul Watch Vigil. Well, yeah, there's definitely there's several caravans from different places that are coming, um, uh, including um, from from Los Angeles. There's there's a group of um, um, you know mostly immigrant youth, but um, just or either that or it's just first generation born in, in the U.S. Uh, people of color, um, mostly Latino kids, with uh, an organization called Homies Unidos that does uh, anti-gang uh, or gang prevention work. And from the point of rehabilitation, not not heavy hand, and they also, since a lot of the the people there can trace their um, their heritage to wars that that the U.S. funded during the 80s, then that that's why the connection is being um, uh, stressed this year for that. And we're very excited about that caravan coming from Los Angeles. And then we also have um, some kids that are coming with. They usually come with. And I'm pretty sure it's kind of up in there if it's happening this year, but it would come with a hip-hop group by the name of Rebel Diaz, and they bring um, definitely some youth from New York, from the Bronx specifically, and now this year we have also uh, this caravan that's coming from, from Baltimore and bringing other people that um, might not have had a chance to come uh, in prior years, and everybody goes and meets down at the... Uh, in Columbus, Georgia, um, for vigils, protests, workshops, 
It's and it's you know it's a gathering that at its peak had uh, over twenty thousand people coming. It's the numbers have gone down, admittedly, but it's still uh, three to five thousand people that gather uh, every year and and and, and demand the closure of the school, but more broadly the a change in U.S. foreign policy. Uh, to, to have a culture of accountability, of peace, of dignity, of respect for our neighbors. I, I think it's, I think that one of the reasons why people put a lot of emphasis on it is because it's just, since uh, Latin America is the U.S.'s neighbors and the fact that the U.S. continues to treat Latin America with such disrespect and um, such, um, you know, old-time imperial attitudes that might have, they seem watered down compared to what they used to be, but it's still overall... Uh, the same type of policies that they've been doing, and it causes uh, death, destruction, and chaos in Latin America. And a lot of people have come to the United States as migrants because of the violence that, that, that the U.S. military, at the very least, helps perpetuate, even if they're not directly the ones um, doing the fighting on the ground. They're advising, they're training, they're they're putting a lot of uh, millions and millions of dollars, and it's kind of a situation where it's not working. One way or the other, it's not working, and it's and it's been too long of a time to keep on doing the same exact thing. Um, people come here because of the, this this violence as we've seen with the child migrant crisis in, in the summer. Um, people from Mexico are, are still coming, especially those that are actually that are very fearful for their lives that they cannot no longer live where they where they live because it's too violent, it's too dangerous. Um, and we're also very much stressing the connection between that and the immigrant uh, prison complex. Um, as well as the, just the pr overall U.S. domestic prison industrial complex. As far as um, we're also having a vigil in conjunction with uh, George, with Georgia Detention Watch, which uh, does uh, works against immigrant detention in that state, and we're having a, a vigil that could turn up to be the biggest, uh, the largest protest at a for-profit immigration detention center in the U.S. so far, which is the it's it's housed in uh, a town. A very um, dilapidated a town that has, has has suffered a lot of economic downturn called Lumpkin, Georgia, and they built this very big immigrant prison there. Private company, um, for-profit Corrections Corporation of America (CCA), which is along with the Geo Group, the two biggest profiters off of uh, warehousing both uh, quote-unquote people that are <clears throat> criminals in the U.S. and 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 immigrants that are treated uh, as criminals just for their mere presence. Um, and we're just to draw that connection even further. We're also um, having going to have this and feature this vigil that that's now going to be the eighth one. And SOA Watch and, and those groups have been working closer and closer together to 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 draw attention to the connection between the U.S. foreign policy and the the, the prison industrial complex inside of the U.S. and uh, as well as the militarization that's going inside of the U.S., which is um, you know in a sense chickens coming home to roost. Of, of, of exporting this type of militarization for so long, it's it's not a surprise. It's not a surprise to the black community. It's not a surprise to um, the Latino community in certain places that that uh, the the police is becoming more and more like a military here too. And we're we're just trying to make those connections a little bit more explicitly and and uh, inviting people to 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 come down and join us to um, ask for you know. So it's not just about peace and and accountability and and dignity in Latin America, but it's also about peace and dignity uh, and accountability and justice in the United States as well. Um, it will be from November 21st through November 23rd, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yeah, just go on the website, um, and, I, and also very specifically the November website, so it's 
soaw.org slash November and there we have like all of the information for for um, for for the vigil, the logistics, places to stay, how to get there, what the schedule of events, the speakers that are going to be there, the, the musicians that are going to be playing. Um, yeah, there's a lot of information there about the vigil at Stewart. It's called the Stewart Detention Center. That's the biggest immigrant prison in the United States, for profit, and so we're definitely trying to 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 have people go there. There's definitely you know every year there's people that uh, take it upon themselves to to commit civil disobedience and cross the line to Fort Benning and. And there will probably be people that are going to also do the same thing at Stewart and risk arrest, um, just to draw attention to to this to, to the monstrosity that is the the for-profit prison complex and, and, and industry that 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 has uh, you know uses racism to be able to profit uh, off of the hate of other people. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Thursday's Community Watch and Comment, the On the Ground edition. And the voice we just heard was that of Arturo J. Iscara, Advocacy Coordinator for SOA Watch, which will be holding its 25th annual vigil at the School of America's, also known as Winseca. And it's known as a training ground for soldiers, police, assassins, who have killed and tortured in Central and South America. It's the week of Veterans Day, and when we come back, it's your turn. You can call 202-588-0893 to raise your voice about war, the status and treatment of our veterans, the impact that our policy of militarization is having not only abroad but here at home. 202-588-0893 will be the number to call. Michael Byfield will be here to take your calls. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thursday's Community Watch and Comment, uh, the On the Ground edition. I'm Michael Byfee, and I'll be taking your calls. Uh, again, the number here is 202-588-0893. This week is uh, Veterans Day, and it's your turn to call and voice your comment. Uh, Caller? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, your name, please. Tespa. Good morning, Tespa. Uh, yeah, your comment for today? Yeah. Uh, uh, U.S. supported uh, military and U.S. supported dictators are creating uh, lots and lots of uh, crimes. And in Ethiopia, U.S. supported military, the generals, the highest officials, are being uh, uh, caught red-handed. There is 
so much evidence collected against the highest Ethiopian government officials, the highest generals, uh, go uh, to Masraja, M-A-S-R-A-J-A, dot com, and you can see so much evidence collected against them. And now the whole world is being asked to prosecute these uh, genocidaires. They have created genocide, they have committed genocide, they have uh, uh, committed uh, 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 ethnic cleansing, none crime, I mean, all crime that exists in human society has been committed by these officials supported by the United States. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I guess what uh, what we're looking at is um, uh, from the School of the Americas as a tactic or uh, the training that supports the sale of arms uh, around the globe. And uh, if we remember uh, what we're looking at right now in Central in Central America, we had the death squads in um, El Salvador, we had uh, Guatemala. And uh, now we're looking at uh, the police in Mexico, even though that may be a uh, collusion with uh, the narco-traffickers. But what they're exacting on the students is uh, one and the same as uh, a result of death squad training. So um, uh, we ought to be aware of that, that what happens and what comes back to even the streets of the United States as um, uh, the militarization may eventually um, render the torturous and brutality uh, right on the citizens here at home. ...of civil society, the United States of America, we really pride ourselves on making sure that human injustices don't take place. Um, Michael Brown Jr. is the victim of a human injustice. As a country of, of civil society, the United States of America, we really pride ourselves on making sure that human injustices don't take place. Um, Michael Brown Jr. is the victim of a human injustice. And certainly, uh, we believe that our United States government, under the direction of our president, has taken um, great steps to address the situation that exists in Ferguson City and St. Louis County, Missouri. Um, there are some serious issues that exist as to the actions, though, of the city of Ferguson, Missouri, and as it relates to St. Louis County, Missouri, in this situation. And so um, we've been presented with the question as to why they come to the United Nations. And we, we've thought about that and talked about it a lot. And it's a very simple answer, actually. Probably the most powerful thing that the United Nations offers is perception. It's the same thing that we use against other countries as a country. When we look at other countries, when they have atrocities that exist in their countries where people are killed and lose their lives, and when the government doesn't respond, any aspect of the government. And so we have a situation, I recall one of the comments that they made to us yesterday regarding how they had been treated, treated as victims in this situation. And they do not believe that the city and county has shown them the respect and given them the proper redress that they should have gotten as a victim.
The opposite, in fact, has happened. The officer has been treated as the victim. The officer has been the one that's been protected. And so those are major problems. As a family, they're very encouraged by the actions that the United States Department of Justice has taken within that community. And as you all may know, um, they're there doing police training. They're there doing um, many different things to address some of the things that have happened to try and change things for the future. But being that the U.N. is quite appropriate, and I think I'll take one of the comments from um, Michael Singer yesterday, and it's, it's a simple message that all life matters and black life matters too. And, and that was a comment he made yesterday I thought was so appropriate because it, um, it, it sends a right clear statement that the life of Michael Brown Jr. is a life worth fighting about is a life that if anyone questioned why they would take this fight all away, should question themselves as to why they would not see the value in the life of Michael Brown. Remember what happened in this case. This son was murdered and laid for almost five hours in the street like an animal, and they could do nothing about it. That action alone indicates that the people who were attempting to investigate had very little sensitivity to the life that had been lost there. And so that's why we've come here today, because this is the proper stage on the world stage when you have atrocities like Michael's death that happened at the hands of law enforcement and the attitudes and approaches. I mean, a big part of this is, 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 a, is an attempt to change the attitude and the approach by the city of Ferguson and St. Louis County as they look at the redress for this loss of life at the hands of a police officer. Thank you so much. And um, they probably don't want to say much right now. Would you like to say something right now? Have I said enough for you? Okay. Um, so they've chosen not to say much. And, and the big part of the reason is that over the last, next two or three days, there's a lot of sense of issues that are taking place um, and that they have been advised not to talk too much publicly about it. But I will take some questions if you have questions related to um, the trip here to Geneva and the situ situation involving the death of Michael Brown, Jr. That was Daryl Parks, attorney for the parents of Michael Brown. Taken um, uh, the uh, fight to the United Nations in Geneva. If you remember, um, uh, the uh, late uh, Malcolm X uh, had appealed to uh, uh, African Americans to take a human rights cause to the United Nations. Uh, uh, what has happened is uh, Amnesty International has also looked at the Ferguson case. So what we've had... Uh, today in 2014 is um, uh, uh, United States African Americans have uh, now realized that we can take the uh, the injustices to an international stage to uh, uh, bring it to the world stage. Uh, uh, any callers? Callers uh, 202-588-0893. Um, we have a couple more minutes if anyone wants to make a comment. Okay, caller? Yeah. Um, Your I'm name, please? My name is Parker, and my comment is that this is all about the money, and I think you're going to find out that uh, the, the victim is going to, the policeman is going to be found innocent, 
and all the praying and marching will have nothing to do with it. What you need to do is taxpayers need to stop paying their property taxes because the mayor, the police department, the fire department get paid by your taxes. You can scream and holler all you want. They ain't going to do nothing. But when you stop paying your property taxes, people will listen. That's the end of my comment. Thank you. Thank you. Um, there's been a, um, there's in the past, been a move to um, for people to stop supporting war by uh, the war tax on your uh, your telephone bill. Uh, so that that's uh, that's another idea. Okay, uh, we're gonna sign off. Um, uh, coming up will be uh, the news, and um, following that will be don't forget the blues with uh, returning Chris the property in full health and strength. Thank you. Peace.